The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not represent or reflect the official policy or position of the Ticket Paycheck Foundation and podcast. All information shared is from personal experiences and does not constitute medical advice. We do not take responsibility for any statements expressed during the podcast. Take a pain check does not endorse any products or services. Any said products or services mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you or your condition. Please consult with your physician if you have medical questions, as it may pertain to your condition. Hi everyone, welcome back to this week's episode on Take a Pain Check. I'm so excited to have Lindsay joining me today. Hi Lindsay, can you give me a brief introduction about yourself? Tell me a little bit about your education, your career, your hobbies, and what you've been up to recently. So I'm Lindsay DeLong. I'm an occupational therapist, uh, have been for 10 years. This is actually my 11th year since I graduated from OT school. And I have practiced primarily in adults, uh, working with people with anything from chronic conditions to acute recoveries from um, multiple traumas, accidents. I've worked in oncology. I've worked mostly in the home and some in hospital settings. And in the last three years, I have started and been operating several different platforms on social media, including a YouTube channel, Instagram, TikTok, um, and then just recently launched my first physical product. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey. I've spent a lot of my time and really have specialized in adaptive equipment. I have some behind me <laughs> um, because that's what I have really been passionate about most of my career is helping people adapt and modify their lives in order to be able to continue to participate at the highest, safest, most comfortable, and most independent way possible. So what is your role as an occupational therapist? I feel like a lot of us hear occupational therapy, physiotherapy, but no one really knows, or they may know, but a lot of people just don't know what that is or they hear the name. So would you be able to give me a little bit of a description on what that is and what that means? We always call it our elevator pitch. So if we had to say quickly and concisely the difference in what occupational therapy really is, occupational therapists are really specialists in the functional lived experience. So any task that you accomplish throughout your day, as an occupational therapist, my skill set is to take a look at that task, identify any barriers to completion. We're looking at um, any ways to improve efficiency. Um, And as it ties to like the chronic illness community, we're looking for ways to keep you able to participate in those tasks long term. So occupational therapists work in conjunction with all the other allied health professionals, including physical therapists, speech therapists, social workers, nurses, doctors, everybody. Um, We're part of that big team, but we are really the specialists of function when it comes to like those singular tasks. We can break them down in all their little components and find ways Um, to either improve your ability to complete them or replace that task with something new. Um, But that's really what we're what we're experts in. And how often does a patient actually see an occupational therapist? I mean, arguably not enough. That would be what what I think we mostly say, especially in the chronic illness community. Typically, the only time somebody will see an occupational therapist in their life is um, during some sort of acute exacerbation. So whether you have an illness or a surgical recovery or an injury, you may see an occupational therapist because you've had a change in function. Um, you may see them in conjunction with those other allied health professionals, but typically we're going to be called in in those situations. I desperately wish, and one of my main missions in being present on social media is to make people aware what occupational ca- therapy can do and offer so that there's greater understanding of how we could perhaps be more involved 
before something bad happens. Cause that's what I think a lot of people will never see an occupational therapist. And that's a good thing. Cause maybe nothing bad has ever happened, but I still think we have some valuable expertise that we could offer to help with preventative care for comfort, for efficiency. And I think especially what I've learned in the chronic illness community is that so often you're left to figure things out on your own when there's a lot of resources available, but they just don't necessarily get to you before, you know, unless something really bad happens and then you get to meet us in the hospital and we may be able to offer some solutions. So my short answer is not enough. You you likely won't see occupational therapists in your life enough unless you come follow us on, on social media, then <laughs> then you might get to know a few of us. It's so interesting that you bring that up because I've rarely seen an occupational therapist, like maybe once or twice. And those were in the cases where, you know, I was having the biggest flares. I didn't know how I could function at school. And that's when I need to see one. But you should always think of, okay, how could I have prevented that in a way? A lot of the times, and it's really funny, is that for me doing the dishes, I wouldn't wear a wrist brace when doing the dishes on under my gloves, but the occupational therapist that I went to was like, you should be doing that. And I'm like, why would I do that? This looks so much work. Personally, I find it so hard to use some of the tools that I have gotten. I think that's so important because there is a huge amount of it's kind of like a negative connotation around using adaptive equipment, using bracing, using things. One, it's inconvenient. And I totally respect the the inconvenience of having to put a brace on. I myself have arthritis. And so I have to wear bracing at certain times. And I'm like, gotta go put it on. It gets wet when I wash my hand. Now I got to take it off. It's wet. There's a lot of annoyances around it. And also I think that sometimes the equipment and the bracing and stuff is given to people in times of great, like, emotional, physical and emotional trauma. So you're like emotionally drained when you're issued this thing. And then every time you pull it back out, it's like a trigger. So you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm reminding myself that there's something different about me than there is about this, you know? And so I think there's an emotional component to it that we don't talk about very often. Um, but I think it's a really valid concern. And then when it comes to equipment, I love adaptive equipment and gadgets. It's like my entire life. But I am a firm believer you shouldn't be forcing people to use equipment (laughs) just because we think it's cool doesn't mean it's actually solving a problem. Um, So if you're being forced to use adaptive equipment or you're being told this is the only way to do something, you might not be working with the best therapist, unfortunately. So it has to be a mutual decision. And I think a lot of times that gets missed in the healthcare um, world where it's like it feels very one sided, like here's a therapist telling you you need to use this, this and this. But there's not a lot of mutual respect going back and forth. And that also interferes with carryover and interest in actually using the products. I have a wrist brace. I have compression gloves. I have like the gel pad under my keyboard, like all those things to help me function, to type and write. Mm -hmm. These are things that I went out of my way to find, or I talked to someone on social media who told me about it. It's a balancing act, right? Like we as therapists are aware of all of these cool things that we could implement in your life that we think would make a difference. But the reality is you're the only person who's the expert on your body and your life. And so when you go see a quote unquote expert in their field, and if they're telling you these things without giving you the time to express what it is that actually, what does your day look like? You're busy. Like you don't have time to be throwing 10 ring splints on each digit so that you're not over hyperextending your fingers. Do we have alternative options? And the answer is yes, there's usually an alternative. And there's things you can do to avoid having to brace at all. Oh, maybe you're more appropriate for 
a really good exercise program and then implementing some modalities like uh, uh, paraffin wax, you know, to, to help with joint soreness so that you don't have to use a brace. It's a balance and it's, it should be a collaborative relationship. If you don't feel like you're getting that with your therapist, I, I'm always sorry to hear that, but I know that it's a, it's a tough thing because we in healthcare are often in such a hurry because we just don't get enough time with people. That's why, that's why I quit. That's why I walked away from patient to patient, patient to care. I, I wanted to go online because I was like, I need time. I need to be able to show people stuff that I don't have time to show them in the in these patient care scenarios um, so that they can then test it, implement it, use it, have more control over their experience of receiving this information. Because like you're saying, it's like, it's great. I'm okay. That's the recommendation, but it doesn't really fit my life. Um, and that's that's an unfortunate reality. And, and I, I'm trying to overcome some of that by being more present in these non-traditional spaces. So we talked a little bit about, you know, why you're so passionate about, well, I mean, you sound very passionate and you are passionate about the work that you do, but what inspired you to get into occupational therapy? I always knew I wanted to help people. I, from a very young age, that's all I ever told people is like, I just want to help people. I just, my grandfather was a physician. I had an aunt who was a social worker. I had worked around therapy, but mostly in the physical therapy realm and actually was pre-physical therapy all the way up um, till my junior year of college. And then I went and did some shadowing and realized I was bored. I wanted something that had a little bit more creativity to it. Physical therapy is very rooted in the anatomical kinesiology. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very predictable in a lot of ways. PTs are incredible and brilliant. And I love every PT I work with. Um, OT has this like kind of, we get to be a little bit more cowboy. We get to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more out there in our approach because we tie it back to such real human experiences. I love that. I also, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to work in the home. I loved the idea of being very um, hands-on in like the real life lived physical space versus in a hospital or a clinic. And home health and occupational therapy goes like bread and butter, you know, peanut butter and jelly, I should say. It's a very, um, it was a very easy transition for me. And I absolutely loved going into people's homes and seeing their lives and helping them to helping to impact it in a positive way. It's just, I absolutely love what I do. And I, I do it for free, which they always say is a great sign that you're doing what you should be doing. Um, I would do it every day for free. I, I, I love it that much. So it was serendipitous that I found it, but in a way, a lot of ways, I think my life was always going to land me here, right where I'm at. So. And do you have any like lived experience of any conditions yourself that brought you to it? Or was it just kind of, you know, you, you really just had that passion to help people? So, um, when I was young, uh, my sister suffered from a, it wasn't a, it was like a childhood illness that lingered for several years. Um, so I got to watch kind of her acute phase where she was in the hospital and very ill and there was a lot of fear. And then I got to watch her healing process and where she received some therapy and she got to have people coming into her life to help move her beyond that experience. And that was my first real exposure to like the rehab process, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and then I was working with my aunt, who's a social worker. I'd volunteered with her since I was like 10 years old in the NICU, the intensive care unit for the little neonates. So the little tiny babies. And that's the first time I ever was exposed to occupational therapy was working um, with those little tiny babies. And I thought, wow, that's really amazing. Myself, I've not had a personal, um, until I became an adult, 
I have a chronic condition. I have um, a form of Crohn's disease as well as um, some chronic arthritis and inflammatory issues that have come up since I've turned 30. So I've become much more acutely you know, aware of the different things that I have been teaching for so long. But yeah, I would say it's more, you know, some personal experience, but a lot of it has just been professional exploration and just curiosity. My dad also worked in mental health most of my childhood, which I think is an interesting one. Just recently, I, I untied, I unpacked that a little bit. I thought, you know, he used to work around a lot of people with chronic mental health conditions, as well as some intellectual disabilities and things like that. And I was exposed to that from the age of like three or four years old, going to hang out with him at work. And so I was never afraid of disability or chronic illness or any of that. I was just, they were just all people who were interesting and I wanted to learn more. So I think even starting at a really young age, exposing kids to things that are different can open them up to this idea of, you know, being a helper and being part of that community. So lots of different experiences in my life, I think have guided me here. I'm still unpacking it, you know, yeah. <laughs> you try to try to reflect back, but it's like, I just found myself following everything that made me excited throughout those years. And that's amazing because it really just shows in the work that you do and the content that you make and like everything you're talking about right now. And so you were an occupational therapist at a rehab hospital yes. before opening your own business. Can you talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah. So my very first job out of OT school was at a rehab hospital, an inpatient rehab hospital. So basically um, very high level acuity. So patients, spinal cord injuries, brain injuries, um, multiple trauma, like car accidents, motorcycle accidents, that type of thing, strokes, a um, lot of neurological. So I actually have a, I'm a certified brain injury specialist. So I, I was really focused on brain injury. Um, through acquired injuries or um, actually neuro. So I did a lot of uh, brain tumor recoveries from surgical recessions and things like that. So I did a ton of that work. I loved it. It was like getting the most intense fellowship into the most complex cases. You know, we're talking all four limbs broken, spinal injury, you know, how are we going to get this person to be able to do anything, let alone leave this hospital? And so you start from like post coma, <laughs> A lot of our patients would come right out of a coma and you would see them through for months. And it was an incredible education into what that it looks like. And then I got a job in home health following that. So I got to see the next phase of the recovery process. I got to see what happens right after you get out of your acute care hospital and you go to a rehab hospital, then you go home. And when you work in the rehab hospital, you don't see what home looks like. And let me tell you, when you get home, you realize it's totally different one than what you thought. Like you think in that rehab hospital, you are preparing them for all of the things that they are going to face at home. You're not even close. So as a therapist in the home, I was able to then see all of what we had missed in the hospitals. Like, And a lot of it was adaptation and modification. You can't simulate the home or community environment in a hospital. You just can't. You try. We try really hard. Um, and so then I became very passionate about adaptive space, you know, being um, accessible spaces and um, modifying homes, wheelchair accessibility, um, because then it was the goal of getting people so that they were, they went from that traumatic experience of an accident or whatever it was. Now they have a new normal, the new normal. What does that look like for the rest of their life? So when I got into the home setting, that's when I was able to then kind of extrapolate out, okay, how are we going to get you to live a good quality life? with these new challenges. Um, and it's all been, it was really cool to go from that rehab hospital setting to the home setting to see that transition. 
Yeah. And then the different experiences you have and the different places you work or environments kind of leads you to what you want to do and figure which out. Which is what I'm, yeah, which is what I'm doing now, which is like, I am so removed from those spaces. I'm no longer in a clinical environment. I'm in my own space, but I'm sharing my clinical expertise in a much more um, open kind of autonomous way. I don't have to wait for insurance to tell me I can teach somebody something. I can just do it <laughs> um, online. So it's very freeing and it's it's been really, um, it's really inspiring because a lot of people come and say, I really wish I had known this information X number of years ago. And now I'm having people say, I'm so glad I know this information now because I'm armed with it so that if I need it in the future. And that that was always my goal when I started this. And on the topic of insurance, does insurance work with seeing an occupational therapist? Is it covered? I know a lot of the times people are really confused on how that works. Like, do they have to pay out of their pocket insurance? How does that work? So typically, if you're receiving a referral for occupational therapy, it's coming from your physician. So if your physician says you need hand therapy or your physician says, I want you to see an occupational therapist, um, it is usually going to be covered for X number of visits per year under cert under the majority of, of private insurance plans. Medicare and Medicaid have slightly different policies, but I imagine your listeners are, are going to skew towards the, the private insurance receivers or Medicaid potentially. They are going to receive um, a certain number of visits every year. Um, and those, th those visits are usually include OT, PT, and speech all lumped together unfortunately. So most of the time, OT gets kind of pushed to the side for physical therapy, which usually is being brought in as usually a preventative or a recovery care. And then OT might get brought in for a visit or two in for, especially for chronic illness type scenarios. It's like, okay, I have an exacerbated condition. The PT is going to handle providing an exercise program and working through some strengthening and some stretching. The OT is going to come in for one or two visits and they're going to work through some functional retraining, equipment management, that type of thing. Unless you see a hand therapist, then oftentimes you'll see the occupational therapist because they tend to be um, specified for hand therapy. Not always, though. There's plenty of PTs who are hand therapists as well. I remember in high school, they actually wanted to like bring in an OT and a PC to help me out. I barely remember what it was about. It was super like, I don't know. I just feel like it didn't create too much of an impact. But I remember there was like those like stretch bands and like things that we, yeah, work on. I think it was specifically for gym class because I couldn't do what other kids could do. And so they brought in different like balls and things I can. It was embarrassing, honestly, sitting in the corner using all these equipments. I'm so uh, sorry. Oh. I know. It was like not fun at all, but they were trying their best. But also I'm just like, you didn't have to do that much. You could have just exempted me and I didn't have to deal with that. So there was, that was one point where I kind of saw a PT, saw an OT, and then I needed a PT in general just to help me with my movement and that sort of thing. And then when I moved to university, I took my own initiative to go see a PT and an OT. I'm wondering if like you've had any patients that you had to be like, hey, maybe you should focus on your actual like treatment. OT and PT may not be like the best thing for you right now. What are some like different types of cases? Yeah, that is not uncommon at all. So one of my specialty areas being in like neurological recoveries, I worked in brain injury for a long time. And so um, not unlike a chronic illness like um, arthritis, brain injuries come into your life and turn everything upside down. 
And what can happen is it's often that I'd be working with a patient, we'd be making good progress, and then something would come up like chronic migraines, for example, is really common with this type of, and and all of a sudden they weren't able to participate. Um, We certainly weren't getting anything out of therapy. So we would discontinue until we could get some resolution on this migraine issue. And then we would come back. Pain is the number one thing that limits our ability to work with people. So because we are not going to force you to move or do things with your body that your body is not tolerating, we respect pain and we listen to it. Um, And that's very important. So that's super, super common. I've also worked with a lot of patients who maybe we had we had maxed out what was reasonable for and expected for them uh, as far as like a diagnosis. So I've worked with a lot of clients who have um, terminal prognoses. So things like ALS, Parkinson's disease, dementia. Um, those are scenarios where you may max out what is appropriate. Um, and it's time to seek out more palliative or even hospice type scenarios. So those are when you get into those kind of terminal aspects. And I've worked in, on, like I said, I worked in oncology for a while. So that was definitely something we had to come to terms with. But I will say this, occupational therapy, unlike many of the other therapies, I do believe we have a place in those comfort measure pursuits. Because one of the things I did become very well versed in when I was working in oncology was palliative efforts of educating caregivers. So if you're caring for somebody who has a debilitating condition, how can you be as supportive as possible? Here are here are ways you can be empowered to be helpful because there's nothing worse than watching a loved one suffer. And so building and empowering through education, through equipment, here's how you use bed positioning. Here's how you can improve your transfer so it doesn't hurt. Um, you don't hurt yourself. You don't hurt the loved one. So even in those scenarios where maybe they can't gain a ton from the therapy, we're not going to get them, quote unquote, better. Um, that's not always the goal. Sometimes the goal is comfort. Sometimes the goal is peace of mind. It's empowerment. How can we create a, a situation here where everybody feels supported? Because that's really important, too. So yeah. I've worked in both scenarios where it's like, I'm not going to get this client better but I'm still going to stay on for a few more visits just to make sure we've got everybody in the situation feeling comfortable with the status. Those couple points that you brought up, especially, you know, the caregiver aspect or just like making someone comfortable. I don't think a lot of us realize that sometimes we're already using more ergonomic things or trying to make ourselves comfortable. You know, my chairs, I intentionally bought it to be ergonomic and I did all that but that's also like what an occupational therapist does they give you if you don't have that guidance or don't even know that it exists you are there to kind of support and guide and help a lot of people out with those I just I feel like a lot of people just don't know that that resource is out there yes I and I appreciate you saying that because it's very true the there's um a lot of OTs are very well versed in um, comfort measures. And so one of the things I did a video a while back on YouTube, and it's actually my strongest performing video. And this is so telling. Um, it's all about how to position somebody or yourself safely in a recliner. So a lot of people rely on recliners to sleep comfortably because maybe it's an electric recliner and it can stand them up. It's a, it's an assistive device and it's more comfortable than a bed. And so, so many people sleep in a recliner but we don't always talk about how to do that safely. How do you prevent neck issues when, you, when you're when you sleeping with your head forward? You know, what are some strategies for arm support? Should I have my arms straight? How do I keep my lower back from being a problem? So I made a video just highlighting all the places you can support your body in a recliner so that you're less likely to have these 
other issues. And the video went nuts. It's got, you know, 500,000 views. And that's just telling of the fact that people are out there living their lives, trying to do their best to get through. They've got a lot of pain issues. They've arthritis or knee replacement or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, chronic reflux. There's so many conditions that would land somebody feeling more comfortable that way. And they were just desperate for somebody to give them some ideas of how to do it without damaging their body. Um, and so that I was, that was a really good example. When I saw that video just kind of going, I was like, I was right. There's a lot of people out there who just really want this information and no one was teaching it to them because it's not something that a doctor is going to order occupational therapy for. <laughs> I just want to be a resource and I want it to be a free resource too. Um, I'll never charge people for this information. And I think that's so important um, that I would never, ever ask somebody to pay for this information because dealt with insurance long enough to know that I am not interested in making somebody have to like jump through hoops to yeah. get basic, you know, important health-based information, quality of life information. We all deserve to live comfortably in our own homes. And if I can do that through a few YouTube videos, then that's, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> And so now I'm curious to know, how do you actually go about creating an OT plan for one of your patients? So it always starts with a very in-depth interview process. There is, um, for any therapy, when you start, you have to establish baseline. So what were you, what was your functional status prior to this time I'm seeing you now? So tell me about your history, medical history, all of that, but also tell me what's hard? What are we, what are we dealing with now? That's new that you're struggling with that you need, um, additional supports. And so I, that's how it always begins. So that is all going to be done right away. And then it's a collaborative effort of creating goals. And the goals are a super important roadmap for establishing how we're going to move forward. And those goals are going to be in an occupational therapist case, very functionally based, we're going to be, so ADLs is a term that you might hear if you ever work with a with an occupational therapist. ADL stands for activities of daily living. And these activities are going to be like grooming, so brushing your teeth, combing your hair, putting on makeup, um, bathing, toileting, dressing, the very basics of your day for function. And then there's IADLs, instrumental activities of daily living. And these are activities that are not necessarily the essentials, the ones I just listed, but things that also have to get done during the day. If you're a student, that might include things like completing your coursework, being able to drive a car, being able to cook a meal. These are like, these are slightly outside of those very um, kind of intimate activities. So we would establish our goals around those types of tasks. And the most important part is that as a therapist, I always focus on what is meaningful and what holds the most value. I may put a lot of value on you being independent with putting your own socks on because I think that's important. You may say I live with my significant other and they will help me put my socks on. I could care less if I can do that task myself. Okay. Fair enough. That goal's gone. I don't. So the goals need to be very tied to the actual functional value that the person places on it. So that's how we establish our plan of care. And then the plan of care is usually established from a time frame of how long we think it's going to take to meet those goals. Then we submit that to the insurance company. They approve us for the number of visits that we request and we start our process. That's have, usually how it works. Have you had any patients that were actually hesitant to see an OT? Lots of hesitancies. So as an occupational therapist, I have to be an incredible salesperson, right? Because 
it is a tough sell to get folks to want to tell me about how it's going in the bathroom, right? One of the very first conversations I have to have with people is like, how's it going on the toilet? You know, and these are conversations that for a lot of people are not a comfortable place to be. And so I have to go there with those uncomfortable conversations and I can get people who will shut me down very, very quickly. Um, I've gotten really good at sweet talking my way into getting agreement from people. Um, and I think the reason behind that is I just, I, I kill them with kindness, but I also try to be as respectful and understanding as possible. I never force the issue. I don't try to reinvent the wheel, especially the chronic illness community. You guys are geniuses and I'm here to learn from you. And that's how I always, and I truly believe that I don't just say that in order to get buy-in. I truly believe I'm here to learn from the expert about their body and how I can be of support to it. I get a so much better buy-in <laughs> um, and so much so much less resistance when I start there. But if somebody doesn't want to see a therapist, you cannot force them to see a therapist. <laughs> um, and there's really no point in establishing that therapeutic relationship if the if it's one-sided. So I've had plenty of people say straight up no, no, thank you, not interested, like don't want to be in this situation. So we 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 cut it off and that's as far as we go. And that's okay. I have to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. You were a mom and you're also an OT. How that's do right. you, how do you balance that? Cause I am assuming you have your own business, so you work for yourself. So how, do, how does that work? I will say anytime you're trying to balance parenthood with anything, it is um, a juggling act. I have an incredible support system around me. My sister's watching my kids today because I have to, I'm here with you. You know, like anything, it's all a balancing act. My kids are one of my biggest motivations. And so I in actually involve them in a lot of what I do because I work from home. They can see what I do. They legitimately think I'm cool because I'm on TikTok and YouTube. So that helps. Um, they've been involved in demoing products with me. I use, I ask them questions. And the cool thing is they have this incredible ability to like see something and see its potential sometimes before I do. So I'm a big proponent of like involving them in this because I think this is valuable to their lived experience too. So I'm a super fortunate in that I get to have as much time as I do with my kids. Um, that's always been my priority. The reason I actually quit clinical working for another company was because of COVID and having to work. I had, I was teaching my first grader how to read and I like couldn't work out in the community and handle being a homeschool teacher during that time. So I quit and I stayed home with them until I, and, I got kind of bored. And so I started doing the the social media piece of my business. Um, and that's kind of how it all blew up from there. But yeah, I, I use, I, I love having my kids be involved. And I think I go and I teach stuff to their classes and I'm able to be so involved. And I think trying to grow a grassroots effort of a bunch of young kids who know all about occupational therapy. So <laughs> that's amazing. And, and I feel like that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm making little a little accessibility monsters. So whenever we go places now, they'll point out to me like, oh, that's a really good grab bar, isn't it, mom? I'm like, yes, it is. And then they'll be like, oh, this is a bad setup. There needs to be a ramp. And I'm like, yes, very good. <laughs> so and, trying and to build that. Yeah. And that's so great because I think in general that also gives them a new perspective when they grow up and they go into different environments and they see people with disabilities or people that just need help or need to be more comfortable. They're able to be accommodating and they already know. So you're setting them up for success. 
I love it. It's it's like I said, one one person at a time, one kid. It 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 grows beyond just our family. So I I love that, and I love having them involved. And I, as long as they want to be, they're six and eight, so they're still like at that age where they think you know they want to be around mom and stuff. But they're rapidly the eight year old especially is rapidly growing out of that. Just like. And so can you give me a rundown of what your day-to-day life looks like? So I am primarily at this point a content creator. So everything I do revolves around reviewing and researching what I'm going to create content around. My content is always focused on occupational therapy and how I can implement adaptations, modifications, equipment, things like that into people's lives. And I try to create generalizable, accessible, so very financially prudent. Sometimes they're just life hacks that can make a big difference in people being able to participate. So lots of planning, lots of research, um, lots of communicating back and forth via via email and virtual conversations with other content creators. That's a big piece of it. I also have recently started creating my own physical products, basically born out of the realization that there were holes in the market where people weren't able to get what they needed because it didn't exist yet. And so I recently created that. So I've been doing a lot of product research and design and communication with a manufacturer. So that's taken up recently a lot more of my time. Um, but yeah, we we my day is very flexible. So I like to get out and move my body every day because I can't sit at a computer. Working in a hospital for years, I'd never sat down. I used to wear a a step counter and I would easily clear 25,000 steps a day working in the hospital. So sitting is not my strength. So I like to get up and move every day. And um, yeah, I don't keep a real strict schedule anymore. And I kind of love that. I am a, a bit of an artist mindset when it comes to it. It's like, I like to be inspired. I like to have a lot of kind of time to process and make, um, make content. And then it's filming. I mean, if you can see behind me, I, I've been filming. Um, I film almost every day. I film a piece of content. I release, try to release a YouTube video at least once a week, sometimes every other week. And then I do two to three short videos every single week. Um, and it's all unique content. So it's very, it keeps me busy, no doubt. <laughs> and you are very creative. And let's kind of go into your initiatives and interests. And we've been talking about your interests all along the podcast episode, but you founded the business Equip Me OT. Can you explain yep. what the company does and why did you decide to come up with this? So in 2016, I was working as an OT and I started realizing that I didn't have handouts for patients to take um, to help them assemble their medical equipment. So we would issue like a shower seat and it would come disassembled. And then I'd find out it never got assembled because people were intimidated and they didn't follow the instructions. Well, it was too hard. So I started making YouTube videos that I could share with patients and their caregivers that showed a really easy, detailed way to assemble and install medical equipment. So it started with toilet seat risers and shower chairs. And I made four videos in 2016. And then I completely forgot about it. I would give those videos out, but they kept getting views. And so when the pandemic hit and I was home, I needed something to do. So we started making YouTube videos again. And the YouTube videos became kind of a jumping off point for Equip Me OT as a business um, as we continue to grow our followers and get more feedback and start to make more and more content. I've made well over 100 videos now. And... 
we continue to make content that kind of revolves around the idea of being a resource. So something that somebody could watch, learn a skill, learn a technique, and then be able to implement it immediately or implement it with a caregiver or whatever. Instagram, TikTok, that whole part of it (laughs) grew out of a need for community. Um, I desperately love, I'm an extrovert. I love to be collaborative with other people, professionals, individuals in the community, and Instagram felt like the right place for that. So I created the Equip Me OT Instagram account, which I shared short versions of what I was teaching in my YouTube videos and continued to try to be a resource, but I also wanted to be a collaborative resource. And so as that has grown over the last three years, um, we're at just a shy of 95,000 followers on Instagram now and just shy of like 35,000 on YouTube. TikTok is slowly growing. Um, I was late to that game because I find TikTok to be stressful because I'm 30 something and that's just what happens. (laughs) But um, all along, the mission has been just to give people resources and information that I wished I could have given to every patient if I had had the time um, out in the community. So it's been a beautiful experiment without a lot of plans put in place when we started it, just kind of following the the lead of those that we were serving and saying, okay, how can we serve you better? How can we serve you better? And then making content around that. And it's been it's been really beautiful. And so now we've we've transitioned into this physical product market to try to create products under the um, the brand EOT Wellness, which is the brand that we sell through on Amazon. Just like I said, learned from all these people we were talking to on social media. And when I say we, it's my husband and I. It's not like I have a team. <laughs> it's just the two of us. Um, and he's very part-time. It's pretty much just me. But we just started listening to people and they were frustrated that this thing didn't exist. So I said, could I make it? Could I find a way? Um, and we did. Brought a market product to market in six months and we're out of stock right now. But <laughs> we're in the process of restocking and getting more out. So it's been a really cool, really um, serendipitous thing that I never thought I'd be in this place that I'm at, but I love it. With a lot of products specifically, there are a lot of individual conditions, like specifically for me, I had a lot of kind of pain, like in my pinky to my wrist and they couldn't find something that supported my wrist and supported my pinky. But, and so it was just this whole thing where we tried, like now I, I don't really use the finger splint, but it was like, put a finger splint here, which I heard about like very recently that you can put a finger splint here and then wear a wrist brace. But I'm like, that's just like too much. And I wish there was something that could, I'm giving you product ideas or maybe you know the product already. I always wish I would have like the ability to create things. Like for me, I can't handwrite. So like having a device that does that for me, like that would be amazing. Be so cool. <laughs> I know. So it's just like, I wish I had the engineering or like creative aspect. <laughs> oh, you, I have a secret. Okay. I'm not an engineer. Far, far, far from it. I barely can manage the computer. Like I am so technologically illiterate. What I am is observant. Sounds like you are as well. I have lived experiences around those who struggle with certain tasks. And I am really hard to convince that I shouldn't do something. (laughs) It turns out that you can work with that. Like there are resources available. And, you know, I just, I just hosted a live because there was enough people curious who were in the same boat. We were like, could I create something that would solve a problem? Because I know I'm not the only one with this problem, but nobody's out here making this product. And the answer is yes, you can. It's not impossible. It's 
expensive, but if you do it slowly over time and you have a, you have a clear vision of what it is that you're trying to create prototyping and fussing around with ideas and taking existing products and being like, I like this, but it needs this little change. Um, you'd be amazed how feasible it really is to get something to the masses. And I can honestly say I cried more of joy, pure joy, tears, realizing that something that had been in my brain for a decade was now in people's hands, helping them. Like that was such a full circle moment for me as a professional. I had no idea I ever wanted to do it, but doing it was just very, it's really satisfying stuff. And I hope to continue to do it. I've always been comfortable, like kind of Jimmy rigging things and making things. So I guess that's part of who I am. Um, but yeah, I love hearing those ideas because we don't move forward as a, as a general society, if we're not sharing and collaborating and finding the people who will bring the thing to reality that's in our heads. Cause if we just keep it in our heads all the time, it's, it's not going anywhere, you know, it's not going to help anybody. So it's, and I will say this, none of what I do is for financial gain. Um, I do, like I said, I do all of this for free. Um, if I didn't have to pay for braces on my eight-year-old. So, you know, it's like, I, I still truly believe I, my goals are to keep things super affordable. Everything I create will be very affordable. I want it to be really easy to get. That's why I go to Amazon. I want you to be able to like one click it. You don't have to put your information into a, a website that you're not comfortable with. Like I want it to be so, so simple and accessible. Um, Cause that's also missing in the adaptive equipment space. Yeah. And then another thing is that sometimes a lot of the products that I see on social media are available in the States, but not in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so for me specifically, someone in Canada who's on social media looking at all these OTs and PTs from the States posting these really cool products that I want to try, I I have to ship it to my sister's house. And now she lives in the States. So it's like a miracle. But otherwise, like it would be, I would have to wait for my aunt to get it a couple months later. And for people that don't have it, it's just that it's not as accessible. Yeah. And that's another reason I chose to to put my products and what I share. I try to always share Amazon products. And it's not because I make money off of Amazon. It's because Amazon has the most international sellers. Um, and so I have a better chance of being able to make things available internationally. And they have ways of shipping internationally that I just couldn't match individually. Um, it would just never be feasible. So that's definitely a high priority because you're right. We're an international community now. We can't speak to just our own home backyard. Um, we have to be able to pursue uh, support that is all over. You're right. Cause I have, I mean, my followers are touch every corner of the, yeah. of the world and it's incredible. And I've, I just can't get over how fascinating I've learned a lot from international um, followers who teach me all kinds of new stuff or show me stuff that we can't get here in the States. I truly believe is one of the superpowers of social media is the ability to share resources in an extremely equitable manner by being free and being, you know, transmissible across boundaries. Um, I think that is why I was so passionate. I mean, YouTube is an incredible place because my videos are being watched and, um, you know, watched in like, I think it's like 30 different languages it's been so like to think that people are consuming this information all over the world. I'll never meet them. I'll never meet these people, but like they're consuming this information and it's helping them to live a safer, you know, more comfortable life. That's what it's all about. Yeah, 100%. And so what are some gadgets that people, for example, with arthritis 
would use. Um, I know it's so different because every single condition in a, like for rheumatic diseases or chronic illness is so different. So I always jump to the kitchen first because I always find that's a fun place to go for some gadgetry. Um, good, a good quality jar opener can absolutely change your life. If you have hand wrist pain or if you have fluctuating strength, um, I love the best one I know is Jiffy Twist. It is an under-counter mount, so you can actually use it one-handed as well. So if, say, you're somebody who has unilateral um, pain issues, but the other side does okay, you can now open your jars one-handed. It goes up underneath the counter, and you just lift it and twist, and it pops the lids off. There's even a push-button jar opener called the Robo Twist. Apparently, the whole twist moniker is really important when you create these products. But the Robo Twist is a single push-button. You push a button, and it closes, and it opens these really stuck-on tops. And I can say I have all of these products in my home, and I love them. Um, and, they're, and they just work really well. When it comes to arthritis management, a lot of what I've learned from spending a lot of time with some really beautiful arthritis creators um, is being ready for a flare. You know, you don't always have pain, but when you do, you better be ready for it. And so some of the things that can make such gigantic differences in just being ready are, like you said, having the compression, having the braces, but also having your home set up in a way where if you have regular circular doorknobs, either modifying those doorknobs to be levers, which you can actually purchase kits that will convert them, or converting your doorknobs, one of the best things you can do is converting every circular doorknob to a lever. Um, is It is hugely beneficial if you have um, hand or wrist pain. Um, and it, it is something that a lot of people forget. Another thing that can be really valuable is um, having seating that is very conducive to where you are in your, in your, in your arthritis journey. So I like to tell people, consider shower seating before you need it. Um, there's nothing worse than realizing you can't tolerate standing for the entirety of a shower um, and not having any way around it. So you don't have to get ugly shower benches or shower chairs. They don't have to look like this. There's some really gorgeous solutions on the market that can kind of just fit into your space and not feel out of place, but can be an, an absolute lifesaver when you need it. So I'm always a big proponent of having seating ready. And then just kind of exploring the, the um, you know, the mobility aid space. When you're young and you have arthritis, you are likely not using any sort of mobility aid. But as time goes by, mobility aids may, be, may or may not become a component to your daily life. Being aware of them and starting to follow some of the really cool mobility aid companies. So I really like, um, there's a couple of cane manufacturers. There's one in the UK and there's one here in the US that make beautiful canes. Um, and I was recently talking on a rheumatoid arthritis podcast and they were all super excited about the handle design on these beautiful canes because they're super rheumatoid, like super hand ergonomic designs. Um, so not only are these canes beautiful, but they have these incredible designs and they're, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but I'll send you the link so that you can add it there. But they're these beautifully designed canes. So just being aware of these types of cool products so that you're not afraid of them if your body ever decides that it's time for you to implement them into your daily life. Also a big fan of like really ergonomic writing utensils. Though For those who are still doing some handwriting, having chunky 
grip pens. I have a bag of them on my counter here by that are just like really fat grip pens, um, as well as the um, Y-shaped writing utensils that you stick your finger through. Those are really beautiful for giving access to handwriting. And I love some of the ergonomic suggestions you made early on about how you set up your desk with your gel cushion underneath your keyboard and having um, vertical mouse instead of a horizontal flat mouse. All of those things implemented into the daily life. I mean, I could go on for literally another hour yeah. and a half. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, I feel like we could have this conversation listing all the products, maybe even in your house for hundreds. a couple hours. Yeah. Hundreds. And, and so one, I don't know what it's called, but I use this a lot, which I found was very easy for me to implement. So it's like this blue thing. <laughs> I don't want to explain it, but it can like help you open things. It's called Dysum. Yes. It's, uh, it's I, I can't believe I didn't say Dysum because so there's an old advertisement for a buffalo sauce. The it's it's a very spicy buffalo sauce, and they say they put that stuff on everything. Dysum, the blue double-sided sticky silicone product, is like the OT's spicy buffalo sauce. We put that stuff on everything. We use that all the time. It's fantastic. You can buy it in a roll, cut it into any shape and size. I use it to keep things from sliding on my counter. I have a cat who likes to try to knock my stuff off the counter. So I put it underneath there. doesn't slide anymore. Um, for opening containers, you could put one on the top and the bottom. So now you've got extra grip. Dyson's fantastic. My OT that I went to recently gave me like a small thing of it or like a small piece. And I was just like, why is she giving me like a random piece of a blue thing? Okay. And then I tried to like use it to open things. And I was like, my life became so much easier. Like so I technically struggling or sometimes I would just give up because I live alone. I would just give up and I wouldn't bother opening. it. I was like, I'll just wait for my mom to come like in two weeks. <laughs> but now that I'm able to actually like use that and open it, I'm like, I need to get myself a whole roll because she gave me like a small piece to try out. She's like, it might just help you like open things. But that's something that I can just easily implement in my life. Absolutely. Pro tip, you do not have to buy the name brand. So it's name brand when you buy it, get it in rehab. It's called Dysum, D-Y-C-E-M, which is the name brand stuff. But they, if you search Dysum on Amazon, you'll see that there's a lot of off-brand ones that are much cheaper and they work pretty much the same. So it's just a very highly sticky silicone. And the cool thing about Dysum, totally washable, totally sanitizable. You can use it for a hundred years and it will not, it'll be perfect. It's amazing stuff. It's a great example. Cylindrical foam is another one. So you can bulk up the size. So it's called cylindrical foam. Hold on. I have some right here. It's blue or red or yellow. And it looks like this. And it comes in these long tubes. And you can, it works like I put it on um, pens and pencils. And I also put it on eating utensils just to give a little bit of a bigger grip. Um, this stuff is fantastic and it's very cheap and it comes in a large pack. So that's another one you can use with arthritis. That is just great to have on hand. Some other things like I heard a lot of the times in the kitchen, especially like I don't cut vegetables, like it's really hard for me. And so I've seen, especially like Cheryl, arthritis life, Cheryl, like she has She's like- She's my girl. I, I love know, Cheryl. She has like knives that she uses or like cutting things and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm like so scared to buy it because I'm like, what if I break it and things like that? But she also has amazing tips on like how to navigate yep. the kitchen and what to do. And I'm always sending my parents like the things that I want to get because they might just be able to help me. I need to figure out what's right for me. And 
it's always and a learning like, process. And you don't want to buy a bunch of stuff and then have it not work. I get, and yeah. that was a that was another like fringe benefit to what I was doing is like, so I buy probably 15 things a week, like a, a month to test. I only share a small number of those things because I don't like all of them. So I try to be like a consumer's digest. Like I want to be the thing that somebody can go to and be like, I trust that this has been tested at least enough to be willing to take a flyer on it. Um, And that's because I know when you are somebody who relies on adaptive equipment, the cost is crazy. And I don't want that to ever be a burden for people. So I try to be very... I only share stuff I love. Um, and that's, that's something I stand behind. So like when you talk about like the chopper, Cheryl and I are dear friends. Um, we're planning a, a very fun trip together this summer. So, oh, um, <laughs> so like the chopper, the, the, the chop wizard it's called, I got it as a wedding gift back when I, so I've had it for 10 years and I never even thought about like how incredibly accessible the design was. Cause it can dice vegetables. All you do is cut it into chunks and then it does all the work. Um, and I've been using it for a decade. And so I, I absolutely love those. The rocker knives, Ulu knives, it's actually an, it's an Alaskan design that uh, was done by the indigenous people of Alaska for forever. These really sharp rocker knives, but they're very accessible because you don't have to lift them. You just roll the knife over things instead of the work. So there's a ton of accessible tips and tricks. Um, and Corinne, hand coach Corinne, who's also on Instagram, who's a, a specialist in hand and arthritis and hypermobility. She has some wonderful tips as well. Now that you say that, that's also why I don't have that many tools because I just mm-hmm. don't want to make that decision of like, I'm going to buy this, but what if it doesn't work? I just wasted like so much money. So that's why I try to like see the different videos that you make or Cheryl makes or other people make. So, you know, I can kind of come to a consensus because you've bought it, you've tried it. Cheryl's bought it. She's tried it. And like, just like listening and learning about the product before I like decide to make that purchase. You know, what's cool though. I'm actually boxing up a lot of the products that I don't personally use. Um, and I'm sending them on to a program called Cully Kids, which is a cooking accessible cooking program in New York City. So it's being donated to um, their program. So there's there's at least I, I don't want people to think I just buy stuff and then it just goes to waste in my basement instead of getting into the hands of people who can use it. So <laughs> I always try to issue it out to people who actually would benefit from having it because I don't certainly need all of it either. That's amazing. So I want to end off the podcast episode with an advice segment. So what advice would you give to those who want to pursue a career in occupational therapy? Occupational therapy is a beautiful career if you are somebody who is empathetic empathetic and compassionate towards others and their lived experiences. Um, my greatest suggestion for anybody considering a professional career in the allied health is to follow all of the different professions. Follow physical therapists, follow occupationalists, follow social workers, follow, you know, make sure you see all of it so that you understand the difference. And then you can identify whether which one's a good fit for you and your personality because occupational therapy is beautiful and I love it, but it's not for everybody. Um, Just like PT is not for everybody. So if you're interested in it and you want more information, there's a ton of incredible resources online. Um, and some great therapists that I know personally. So if, or myself, um, I'm happy to kind of field any additional questions or um, seeking any additional mentorship opportunities or whatever. So I'm happy to be that if that's anything somebody would need. 
Thank you so much, Lindsay, for coming on this week's podcast episode. We started the episode talking about how you got into occupational therapy, when one person would actually decide to get into this job and what kind of inspired you. We discussed your passion for occupational therapy and your previous work experience at a hospital. And then you talked about kind of the insurance aspect of occupational therapy and how you've seen different changes in the healthcare field. And we dived into talking about your day-to-day life and how you balance you know, work and family and then we focused on Equip Me OT, a company you founded with the intention of living safely in one's home. We talked about a variety of different equipment for those living with or without arthritis and how they can just make their quality of life so much better. We ended off the episode talking about the social media aspect and how you keep up with it on YouTube and TikTok and everything that you do. Everyone, like, comment, subscribe. Check out Lindsay's social media channels, which I will link down below. I'll also link a couple of the different things that we talked about down below for everyone to check out. And I'll see everyone in two weeks on Take a Pain Check. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. Pleasure. Bye.